You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, Blessing, Capital Punishment. Now that the flood is over and Noah and his family have left the ark after more than a year aboard, God again blesses them and commands them to be fruitful, to increase in number, and to fill the earth. He repeats it again in verse 7. There is now a change in diet for both man and beast. Whereas formerly they were both vegetarians, now they are free to eat any animal that moves. Part of the way this is accomplished is that now God puts fear and dread of man into the animals, birds, and fish. They will know that we are rivals for food. However, there is one prohibition even before the law is given. They are forbidden to eat flesh with its blood. Here the correlation is made between life and blood. This is so serious that God says he will demand an accounting from any person or animal who violates this command. It's interesting that he adds, From each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. This is to remind us that in spite of the mercy he showed to Cain, Now murder carries with it the death penalty. We see this in other passages in the Old Testament, such as Numbers 35, about cities of refuge, and 2 Samuel 4.11, when David meets out justice for the murder of Ishbosheth. This is not ambiguous. Verse 6 even gives the reason for this. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And that's why the killing of an animal is not considered murder. Nor is this something we can disregard as an Old Testament command that never, uh, that no longer holds any relevance to us. The idea is clearly carried over in the New Testament, Uh, which we'll unpack when we get to them, but for now I'll give you the reference, Romans 13, 3 and 4. Verses 8 through 17, the Noahic Covenant. Then God establishes the Noahic Covenant. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So if God looks at it and remembers, should we not do the same? We should see a rainbow and remember God's mercy and kindness with thankfulness. If we didn't have the scriptures, we wouldn't know about this event or God's promise. And without faith, the knowledge of it is of no use to us. He promises to never again destroy the earth and cut off all flesh by means of a flood. He says he is establishing his covenant between himself and Noah, his descendants, and every living creature that was with him in the ark. Elsewhere, he also says this covenant is between himself and the earth. Like with the covenant with Adam, it was one-sided. There was nothing Noah did to induce God to make such a promise. There was nothing he could do to stop God from keeping his promise. And there was nothing he could contribute to the situation that would promote or hinder God's ability to keep his promise. God initiated it, and because he always keeps his promises... We never have to fear a global deluge again. Then he gives the sign of the covenant, in this case, the rainbow. 
so that when we look at it, we will be reminded of God's promise. But God also says when he brings the rainbow out, he will remember. Again, this doesn't mean that he is forgetful. It means he renews his commitment. The rainbow symbol means God keeps his promises, even his promises to judge the world. Sharon James says the Hebrew word bow, the weapon, is the same word for rainbow. Elsewhere we read, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. So the bow had no more arrows, and it was pointed upward. God was hanging up his weapon of war and making peace. The flood was God's war, and this was the treaty of peace and preservation. Matthew Henry says, As the old world was ruined to be a monument to justice, so this world remains to this day a monument of mercy. But sin that drowned the old world will burn this. So what must that first rainbow have looked like? The murder of Abel, the wickedness of humankind that necessitated the global flood and many other events that are yet to be studied in scripture, None of these can stop God's plan and promise to send a deliverer into the world. This rainbow promise also confirms that. But God can hang up his bow for only one reason. It is not because people will no longer sin. It's not because God will overlook sin. It's because God will spend his arrows on someone else. When God aims his arrows of justice at Christ instead of guilty sinners, we can be pardoned. Also, four times in verses 3 to 16, God says he places the rainbow in, in the cloud. Don't skip over this. He could have said in the sky, which would have been accurate. But he says cloud to start to put the idea in our minds to associate him with the cloud. We'll come across this idea many times throughout our reading of the Bible. But just to remind you of a few. There's the pillar of cloud which led the Israelites by day in the wilderness, the cloud that covered Mount Sinai while Moses was there receiving the law, which represented the glory of the Lord. We see it in the tabernacle of meeting and on the mountain when Moses was in the cleft of the rock and God passed by before him and proclaimed his name. Also, during the dedication of the first temple, a cloud filled the house of the Lord and it was also referred to as the glory of the Lord, or the Shekinah glory. We also see Daniel prophesying about the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. In the New Testament, we see the cloud again on the Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father speaks from the cloud. Jesus told the council they would see him coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven in a cloud. And the angels told the people staring into the sky that he would return in the same way he left. And at the second coming, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And finally, Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. So there are many, many more verses which you could easily find by doing a word search study. But for now, be aware that the cloud is a symbol of God's presence, and this promise is integral to who he is. 
And even more than the dove, the rainbow is a sign of hope. Now the symbol of a rainbow has been hijacked to mean anything goes sexually. Even the colors are changed. Some have commented that the seven colors in the rainbow represent God, whereas the six colors of the rainbow flag represent man, created on the sixth day and tripled to represent the Antichrist. We need to reclaim the symbol of the rainbow. God alone who created it can define its meaning. And the regularity of the days, months, seasons and years would all signal God's faithfulness to this covenant. Verses 18 through 29, Noah and his sons. We are told that the world was repopulated again through these three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. As for Noah, he began well, but even the best of men are men at best. And we see he now took up farming, planted a vineyard, and became drunk. The Bible consistently warns against the sin of drunkenness because it is linked to a loss of self-control immorality and inappropriate behavior. And we see this here. While drunk, he fell asleep naked in his tent, and one of his sons, Ham, the youngest, came in and saw him. Then to add to his father's shame, he told his brothers about it. But they, however, walked in backwards with a garment over their shoulders and draped it over their father's nakedness. Such events that are recorded also confirm the truthfulness of Scripture, because it doesn't hide the sins of its heroes. Noah had been sober among drunks. Now he was drunk among sober people. And this event led to a curse on Ham's descendant, Canaan. This subjugation of Canaan to Shem would be fulfilled when the Semites, Hebrews, conquered the land of the Canaanites. Conquered peoples were called servants to those who conquered them, even if they weren't enslaved by them. Then we're told that Noah lived another... Uh, 350 years after the flood. He was 601 when he left the ark, so that makes him 951 when he died. But for many generations, he was able to tell his descendants about life before the flood, the flood itself, and to pass on much knowledge. He was the last person in scripture recorded to live past the age of 900 and would outlive many of his descendants. Sharon James says, these early chapters of Genesis contain the whole Bible in microcosm, creation, sin, salvation, judgment, and new creation. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ are an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? When Noah and his family stepped out of the ark, they entered a remade world, cleansed from sin. So they were given the creation mandate to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. When Christ returns and makes all things new, there will be a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. There was a change in diet after the flood. There was a change in diet after Christ came. We were allowed to eat meat, but we must not abuse this privilege by gluttony nor by cruelty to animals. People were forbidden to eat blood. This established early on the correlation between life, blood, and atonement. And this is because God is setting blood as a symbol for covering sin, pointing forward first to the animal sacrifices, then to Jesus' death on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It may also have curbed cruelty, 
so that they wouldn't become accustomed to shedding blood and grow unfeeling towards animals and less shocked at shedding human blood. Included in the prohibition against murder is suicide or self-murder. And even though most sinners were destroyed, the sinful nature remained in Noah and his descendants. And God knew that murder would happen again. The value of human life made in the image of God is the basis for capital punishment. As I said, this carries over into the New Testament. And the rainbow represented peace with God. He was no longer at war with them. He laid his weapon down. And because of Christ, we have peace with God. We are no longer estranged because he spent his wrath on his son instead of us. The rainbow reminds us that God always keeps his promises, even his promises to judge. And this also ensures that God will bring the promised seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3.15. Nothing will frustrate his plan to redeem a people for himself. The rainbow was set in a cloud to remind us of God. God will never again destroy the world with a flood, but he will destroy it with fire. Noah was saved by grace, like the rest of us, because he was not perfect, as this shameful episode of drunkenness confirms. The Old Testament links drunkenness, as I said, to a loss of self-control, immorality, and unseemly behavior. Therefore, people were not to be deceived by it. And the New Testament identifies drunkenness as sin. All the best Men in the scriptures, as I said, are men at best, pointing forward to Jesus, who alone was sinless. Noah had been strong when he was younger and could have been influenced by evil people, but now he fails. We need to be careful lest we fall. And this warning comes right after telling us that the Old Testament narratives were written so that we would learn from their examples. It says these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So sin causes shame, but two of Noah's sons covered their father's shame because love covers a multitude of sins. Noah's sons are divided based on their actions, much as Adam's sons did. There are always two groups of people in the world, saved and unsaved, believers and unbelievers those in the city of God and the city of man, those on the narrow road and those on the broad road. And this will continue until the end, when the separation comes. Noah praised the God of Shem. From Shem came the Jews, and then Jesus Christ. Japheth was also blessed, from whom the Gentiles came. They were to share the same tent. Jews and Gentiles are in the same tent of faith. Noah lived 951 years, and then he died. Death comes to all. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 10. May God bless the study of his word.